We're going to be learning Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchus Yibum Vechalitza. This is Perek Dalet, Halacha Tes Zayin. And Rab Chaim is dealing with some of the most popular themes that he has in the Sefer, uh, which is the understanding of Lishma, what it means to have focus and tension on something, and how that differs from Kavana, from other forms of intention, or uh, Da'as, just being aware of what's going on. So he wants to understand, again, the significance of Lishma. Uh, these are themes that were explored in earlier pieces in the Hilchus Tfilin, and Hilchus Shabbos, and Hilchus Gerushin. So you can look back at those. Uh, here he explores it through the prism of Chalitza, when a man passes away and he has no children. So generally the, there's a mitzvah for the brother-in-law to marry his wife. It's called Yibum. If he doesn't want to do that, so then he does Chalitza so she can go remarry to someone else. So in the prism of Chalitza, Reb Chaim again explores the concept of Lishma. The Rambam writes, If she did chalitza in front of only one person, there were no witnesses, just one person. Even if it's just between him and her, so no one else was there. And it was at night. That is considered a chalitza psula, meaning it's not a nothing. It's not that it has no effect whatsoever, but it's not a good chalitza that she can then go marry someone else. It's a chalitza psula that she's not able to marry any of the other brothers. If there's multiple brothers, brothers, and one of them does this form of chalitza, so she's no longer permitted to do yibum to any of the other brothers, but she needs a redo of the chalitza to marry someone else. Now, the Lecha Mishnah asks that the Gemara in Yevamos and Dafkuf and Beis, when it discusses this issue, so it says that there was a story, a guy was in prison, and they did chalitza without anybody else there, just the man and the woman. The story came to Rabbi Akiva, he said that it was a kosher chalitza. So Rabbi Akiva disagrees with the Rambam's psak, and he holds that it would be a kosher chalitza. Now, the Gemara says, if it's just the two of them, how do we know that they did chalitza? So, Amar Vidomar Shmuel, that there were two witnesses who saw them from afar. So even though there weren't witnesses standing right there, as we would generally want, but there were two witnesses who were able to say that they saw this act of chalitza being done in that case. Says the Lecha Mishnah, if so, then we have a question on the Rambam. The case in the Gemara, where they do chalitza, just the two of them, and there's nobody else there, means that there's no two witnesses next to them, but there are two witnesses seeing what's going on from a distance. But the Rambam makes no mention of this whatsoever. He just says that even if the two of them are standing there, and it sounds like there's no witnesses whatsoever, still it's going to be a chalitza psula, and she can't do yibum to any of the brothers. That's the Lecha Mishnah's question. So the Lecha Mishnah answers that the Rambam holds you don't need witnesses whatsoever in his case, because only Rabbi Akiva who held that the, this chalitza works when there aren't witnesses, so that the Gemara qualifies, it's only a good chalitza when there's two witnesses who saw something going on from afar. If there's no witnesses whatsoever, then even Rabbi Akiva agrees that it would not be a good chalitza. But the Rambam disagrees with Rabbi Akiva. He paskins like other shitas there, that this is not a good chalitza. It's only sufficient to prohibit her from doing yibum to one of the other brothers. So the Rambam holds you don't even need Adim in order to do that. Even if there's nobody standing there whatsoever, and just the two of them admit that they did chalitza, that's enough to make it that she cannot marry any of the other brothers through yibum. So that's why the Rambam totally omits any mention of Adim whatsoever in this case case. 
Now, Reb Chaim asks that the Nemuke Yosef says that chalitza without Edim is nothing. It's not a chalitza whatsoever. So if so, says Reb Chaim, we still have a question on the Rambam because if there are no Edim at all, why should this chalitza even prohibit Yibum to one of the other brothers? It should be totally meaningless. And the Rambam is very clear that she cannot do Yibum to any of the other brothers. So Reb Chaim says maybe this is a situation where even though Mido Raisa, it's not a chalitza whatsoever, it's meaningless. But the, still, the Rabbanon were machmir, they made a stringency that she shouldn't do yibum to one of the other brothers. And he says we find other situations where Mido Raisa, it's not a chalitza, but the Rabbanon said that still she should not do yibum to one of the other brothers, meaning it's a chalitza psula. So this might be a situation like that. But says Reb Chaim, there's another approach to explain this Rambam. And that is that the Rambam holds that you don't need Edim when it comes to Chalitza. He disagrees with the Nemuke Yosef, who says that if you don't have Edim, it's a nothing. It's not a Chalitza Midoraisa. The Rambam holds the opposite, that you don't need Edim Midoraisa in order to do Chalitza. And Rab Chaim says that's actually the simpler reading of the Gemara Nyevamos, because the Gemara Nyevamos asks on the case of the Mishnah where there were no witnesses, How do we know that there was a Chalitza? So the simple reading of that Gemara is that it's not a problem inherently in the Chalitza. The Chalitza was fine. We just have no way to prove it. So the implication of that is that the need for Edim when it comes to Chalitza is only in order to verify what happened. But even without Edim, an act of Chalitza would still be effective. And Rab Chaim explains this. He says that we find two different types of Vidavar Sheba Erva, things that involve relationships, where the Halacha is that you need two Edim, Ein Davar Sheba Erva Pachos Mishnaim, you always need two witnesses for Davar Sheba Erva. But we find two different types of Davar Sheba Erva. One is for Znus, when a woman commits immorality. So that is a situation, Lo Ibru Sadi Shakri, that we only need the witnesses in order to verify what happened because people very often lie in a case like that. So the witness are not needed in order to make the act an usser act. They're only needed in order to prove what happened. And the Rabbi Chaim quotes that the Gemara Subistaf test says that even without witnesses, this would be a prohibited act. So the witnesses are only needed to verify, not to create the act as an isser. Uh, as opposed to Gitin and Kiddushin, which Rabbi Chaim also discussed in the first piece in Helchus Gerushin, there the Adim are needed inherently in order to make this act of getting married or getting divorced effective. Without that, we don't consider the act itself to have been done properly. And that, the halacha is very clear that if a man and a woman get married or divorced without witnesses present, so then it doesn't take effect. Now, Reb Chaim explains what's the difference between this case of znus versus the case of gitin and kiddushin. So he says that znus is something which happens automatically. If the woman engages in this act, so then it's automatically an act of znus. And therefore, we don't need witnesses on the act. We only need them to verify after the fact what happened. But gitin and kiddushin is very different. The husband there has to affect the marriage or the divorce. The husband has to play an integral role in creating it. And therefore, in such a situation, the witnesses are also integral to making it an effective process. Without witnesses, then we're lacking in the husband's creation of what needs to happen in order to affect this change. So that's the difference between Znus versus Gitin and Kiddushin. Now, says Rab Chaim, coming back to Chalitza, so which case is Chalitza more similar to? Is it like Znus, that it happens automatically and the witnesses are only there to verify? Or is it like getting married or divorced, that the husband has to do something and therefore you need witnesses inherently? 
So Rav Chaim is trying to prove this issue with Chalitza, and he points to Machlokas in Yevamos Tafkuf Hamad Beis with regard to Ktana, a child who they do Chalitza to. Is that a valid Chalitza or not? And similarly with the case of Cheresh and Charoshes, let's say you have two deaf mutes, the man and the woman. So the Gemara and Tafkuf Dalit in Yevamos also says that everyone would agree that it's a good Chalitza, except they can't read the Psukim that they need to be reading. There's things they need to say, and they're not able to say it in that situation, but otherwise it's a good chalitza. Now the problem is that when it comes to cherish shotevekatan, a deaf mute, someone who is clinically not all there, or a child, so the general rule is that they don't have enough awareness, they cannot process things maturely, so there's things in halacha that they're limited to do. One of the things which requires das that needs awareness and maturity to understand what's going on is chalitza, and that's in the Gemara in Yivamas and Vav. The case over there is that someone says, do chalitza, and through that you're going to get married. So obviously that's false. It's the opposite. Through chalitza, she is not married to him, and she can marry anyone she wants. So the Gemara says, lo have chalitza, lo klum. It's nothing. It's not a chalitza at all. It's based on a total misunderstanding. So you see that for Chalitza, there needs to be awareness, there needs to be da'as about what's going to happen through this process and what the effect is going to be. So if so, how could the Gemara say that a child potentially could do Chalitza or uh, someone who's a cheresh, a haroshes, people that don't have understanding are able to do Chalitza? So says Rav Chaim that Tosas already asked this question on Kuvdalid in Yevamos. And they answer that it's talking about a case where someone is standing on top of them, the child or the deaf mute and they're explaining to them how to do it properly. And the Gemara in Gi'in and Davchav Beis has a similar case where a cherish shotev write a get, but an adult with full wisdom and maturity is standing on top of them, telling them how to do it. So that is kosher. It's a valid get, and it's considered as if there was proper lishma, even though generally a cherish shotev cannot create lishma. They don't have full understanding as to what this get is going to be used for and who it's being prepared for. So they can't do lishma, but if an adult is standing there guiding them, then it is considered lishma. So it says Tosos, we could apply the same thing to chalitza. The case in these gemaras with people who don't understand what's going on is talking about where there's an adult helping them and explaining it to them, and that's sufficient in order to create a chalitza. But says Rab Chaim, there's a problem with Tosos' approach here, because the actual gerushin and kiddushin, the getting divorced and the getting married, not the writing of the get, but the actual thing itself, you cannot do for a child, even if an adult is standing there. And the proof for this is that the Mishnah in Yevamos and Afkufiud Beis Amud Beis has a case where a man married a woman. They were both healthy. They were both aware and alert. And then he became a deaf mute. So the Mishnah says, Loyotzi Olamis. He can never divorce her. Meaning you see that an adult, a regular person, can't stand there on top of him and help him divorce her. There is no way to create a divorce. And similarly, when it comes to Kiddushin, so in the there's a case where a man divorces his wife and he says she can marry anyone, any other man, with the exception of a child. So the Gemara asks, do we say since he's a child, he anyways can't marry her, so it makes no difference, or that he's going to grow up? But says Rab Chaim, the clear implication in that Gemara is that a child has no way to get married. There is no way for a boy to be able to marry a girl, even if someone else is standing on him. An adult helping him along, guiding him, is not going to make a difference. So back to Tosos, answer, why should there be a difference between chalitza and lishma, the writing of the get, where in those two 
cases a child could do it so long as an adult is standing there helping them, as opposed to actual gerushin and kiddushin, that an adult standing there does not make a difference, and a child or someone without das is never able to do them. So here Rab Chaim comes to his main distinction, and that is that gerushin and kiddushin are different from chalitza and lishma, because in the cases of gerushin and kiddushin, you need das baalim, the Owners, the people who are doing this, who are affecting it, have to have full understanding of what's going on. And the reason is, uh, building on what he just said a few moments ago, because when it comes to Gerushin and Kiddushin, they're done by the Baalim. The person who's doing it, the husband, the man who's doing it, they are the one creating the change in status, affecting this Gerushin or Kiddushin, and therefore they have to have full understanding. It's not going to help if someone is there explaining it to them and guiding it to them because they themselves are lacking in the understanding of what's going on, in the maturity to process and to affect this. So nothing can make up for that deficiency, and there is no way to have them do a Gerushin or a Kiddushin, even if someone is explaining to them exactly what's going on. As opposed to when it comes to chalitza and lishma, so there we don't need da'as ba'alim, we need a lower level category, which is called kavana. They just need to have awareness of what's going on. And once their awareness is there, so then automatically the effect takes place. So if they do a chalitza and the person is aware of what's happening, so then automatically the Torah said that they are now able to marry whoever they want. And if they write a get and this person is aware that the get is being written for this situation, so then that is lishma. So that's why Toso says that when you only need kavana, in the cases where you need the lower level knowledge, just awareness, so then if an adult is standing there guiding them, then that would be enough to overcome whatever lack of of das they have in this case, and it would create kavana. So that's what Tosos is, is proving from the fact that people without das can write a get with an adult standing there, that in cases where you only need kavana, then it's enough to have an adult standing there, and the same would be true for chalitza. So this is a very key distinction between cases which require das ba'alim, which is a higher level, and uh, that there's really no way to have for a chershel tevikatan, versus cases which just need kavana, we just need awareness, and that that even a chershot to the cotton could have if someone is standing there guiding them. Now, once we've established that chalitza only requires kavana, and then once the people doing chalitza know what they're doing, they have awareness of it, so then automatically it happens, but they don't need da'as ba'alim to affect it. So says Rab Chaim, coming back to the issue of what form of edus do you need for chalitza, so now we know that since chalitza happens automatically, it's not affected by the ba'alim, the people doing it don't create the chalitza, they just are aware of it and then it happens automatically. So we're using the principle that Rab Chaim established before, cases which happen automatically like znus, only need Adim to verify what happened. You don't need Adim in order to actually affect the situation, meaning the Adim are not inherent to the creating the act of Znus. And the same thing would be with Chalitza, that the Adim are not inherent to the act of Chalitza. They're only there to verify it. 
And that's why coming back to the Rambam we began with, he holds that you don't actually need Aiden when it comes to Chalitza. If they do it just just the brother-in-law and the wife are there and they do Chalitza, that's still a Chalitza psula. It's not enough to actually create the Chalitza, but it is enough to make it that she can't marry any of the other brothers, even without witnesses, because witnesses are only needed in order to verify what happened, and that would make it a full Chalitza. Since we can't verify it, then we can't say that... We can be lenient and she can marry other people. We do need witnesses for verification. But the fact that they did a chalitza even without witnesses, the chalitza itself is inherently good. And therefore, if they both acknowledge it, then she can't marry any of the other brothers. So this explains the Psak of the Rambam, why this would be a case of chalitza psula when there were no witnesses whatsoever. And Rab Chaim says that this uh, theory will also help explain another question on the Rambam. The Rambam in Elchus Gerish in Perek Vav Halacha test says that a Tana, a girl, cannot make a messenger to accept her get because you need witnesses in order to create that messenger and we don't testify about something regarding a child because they're not B'nai Das, they don't have full mature understanding. Uh, Rab Chaim discusses this at length on the piece in Hilchus Gerushin on this halacha. Says Rab Chaim, though, here we have a problem, because if the Rambam holds there's a principle that you cannot testify on things that have to do with children, so how could we have a chalitza involving a child? You have to have testimony there, and that testimony is on something that a child did, which the Rambam said can't be done. And similarly, he says, the Gemara said the only problem with a cheresh, with a deaf mute doing chalitza, is that he can't read what he needs to read. But the, what about the fact that the witnesses can't testify about someone who doesn't have das, and that would be also a cheresh. So there should be big problems with the chalitza involving a katan or a cheresh because you can't have testimony in those cases. Says Rab Chaim that according to the idea that he's developing here, that chalitza doesn't inherently require witnesses. It's only in order to verify what happened. We call that edus livrure, edus to verify, as opposed to edus lekiyume, edus to create. So therefore, since chalitza is a case of edus livrure, you don't need it in order to create the action. They're not testifying about what the child did. They're just testifying about what happened over here. It happens to be, in this story, a child was involved, but the testimony is about the chalitza, and the chalitza itself doesn't need the witnesses. So in that situation, the Rambam would hold that they could testify about a katan or a cheresh, except that a cheresh has a separate problem, a technical problem that he's not able to read. So Rab Chaim's main idea here that chalitza just requires edus lekiyume to verify, not to create, would answer the Rambam, the question on the Rambam in Hilchus Gerushin, that what, how could you testify on the chalitza involving a child? Now, as Rab Chaim noted, the Nemuke Yosef certainly does disagree with Rab Chaim's reading of the Rambam, and he holds that chalitza requires edus lekiyume, it's intrinsic to the chalitza, without it there is no chalitza. Says Rab Chaim, he's going to have to hold like the Ravid, who disagrees with the Rambam and holds that you could testify with regard to things involving children, and that's why, according to the Nemuke Yosef, you're able to have a chalitza with a child or a cheresh, even though it requires testimony, because the Ravid holds that they could testify in those cases, and that's why the Gemara says that the only problem with a cherish is going to be that he can't read it. So uh, the Machlokas, the Rambam and the Ravid, about whether or not you could testify for a child is going to also play out in this situation of Chalitza, 
and it reflects the machlokas between the Rambam and the Nemuke Yosef, according to Rab Chaim's reading, whether for Chalitza we need Edus Lekiyume or Edus Livrure. Now, Rab Chaim continues in the third paragraph to a very fascinating issue, and that is Yud, which means when a man buys a Jewish female slave, so he's able to marry her, and he does not have to give her a new Kiddushin. So the Gemara Kiddushin on Daphne Testament Beis describes how do you do this Yud to transform the slave into a wife. So the Gemara says that he has to say in front of two witnesses. So Yud has to be done in front of two witnesses, like every other Kiddushin, just like uh, Kiddushin has to have witnesses inherently, so Yud does too. Says Rab Chaim that the problem here is that the Gemara said that that she has to have Da'as for the Yud. Either because uh, this is going according to the position that the first money when he bought her was not given for Kiddushin. That was a slave, that was a purchase. So it's not Kiddushin. Now he's effectively giving her the value of the Kiddushin by marrying her. So uh, therefore she has to have awareness of it, Da'as. Or because the word Ya'ada in the Torah, when it describes it, implies that she has to have Da'as for it. Either way, the implication is clear that she has to have Da'as. And still, you need Adam in this situation. Now, Reb Chaim points out that in Amah HaIvriya, a female Jewish slave is always a child. Because once she has signs of puberty, then she goes free. So we are dealing with the child over here. We need her Da'as, and still you need Adam. And this is a big problem, according to the Rambam, because he holds that if it's Edus Lekiyume, then... 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah, wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years, because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? (laughs) Yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You cannot have witnesses testify about something involving a child. And here we have Edus Lekiyume on the Kiddushin of the master to the female slave who's a child. And still we're able to apply Edus in that case. So Rab Chaim explains that Yud is actually different than regular Kiddushin. Because when it comes to Yud, the father accepting the money originally when he sold his daughter was the actual Kiddushin. And now all that's required is for her to have understanding that she's about to be married. But it's not like a regular Kiddushin where a man marries a free adult woman. So there we need not only her to be aware of what's going on, but we need her das. We need her agreement. We need her to accept the Kiddushin. So there's a fundamental difference between Yud, where that primary process of Kiddushin was done between the husband and the father, and the daughter only needs to have awareness that she's now going to be transformed into a wife versus a regular case of Kiddushin where we need a higher level of the woman's Da'as. We need her to agree to accept this Kiddushin in order to be married. And the proof for this, says Rab Chaim, is that according to the other position when it comes to Yud, that the first money when the man bought this girl was given as Kiddushin, that itself is the Kiddushin money when he purchased her. So the Gemara says that let's say she goes ahead and accepts different Kiddushin from someone else before he does yield. So uh, he's, the master is still able to do yield 
and be mevatel to nullify the other kiddushin that were accepted in the meantime, because his doing yud retroactively makes them married from the time that he bought her, which was before she accepted the kiddushin from the second guy. The Gemara compares it to a case where he says to a woman, be married to me from now, so then she couldn't go ahead and marry someone else in the meantime. So Reb Chaim asks on this Gemara that there's a basic difference between the case of yud and a regular adult-free woman who gets married, may achshav from now. Because that woman, once the marriage takes effect, it's retroactively, she's a full Aishas Ish. She was fully married the entire time from the time he said, may achshav from now, that it's going to take effect at this moment. So that's a full retroactive marriage. Yud is not a full retroactive marriage. Once the master does the yud and now she's married to him, that's when the marriage takes effect. It doesn't go way back to when he purchased her. So how can we compare these two cases and say that she cannot accept any other kiddushin in the meantime from the moment of the purchase, even though there's not a retroactive marriage all the way back then? Says Rab Chaim, the answer is that once the master purchases her, and according to the position that the purchase money is the kiddushin money, so then she already does not need da'as anymore. Neither her nor her father, they don't need da'as in order to affect a kiddushin in the future because the father already gave it. His, the father's da'as was given at the moment of the purchase and uh, that side, her side's da'as is given. The only person who needs das in the future is the master. He needs to do the kiddushin and to have das to transform this slave girl into his wife. So in that sense, it's the same as a man who marries a woman retroactively because her das is not needed. So says Rab Chaim, that's what the Gemara is comparing. Just like when a man marries a woman retroactively, she suspends her das, she's now given it, and she doesn't need to give das. In the same way, in a case of yud, once the father gives his das for them to get married through this purchase, then the girl's side's das is suspended, we don't need it anymore, we only need the husband's das. Of course, there is a difference that in the case of the regular woman, she's retroactively fully married, and in the case of yud, she's not retroactively fully married. That difference remains. That was Rabbi Chaim's question. But the answer is that we're comparing something different, which is that we no longer need either the girl or her father's das, and that precludes them now from accepting any other kiddushin in the meantime. So that explains why once she's purchased, neither she nor her father can accept kiddushin from another man because the only thing that's remaining in this case is for the master to decide to have das to do the Kiddushin, and that is enough to preclude her or her father accepting Kiddushin from someone else. Now, this whole analysis is according to the position that most Arishonus the Kiddushin knew the purchase money was a Kiddushin, and that's where she can accept any other Kiddushin from someone else in the meantime. But according to the other position, that the first money was not for Kiddushin, so in that case... If she accepts Kiddushin from another man before the master does Yud, then she would be married to him and the master could no longer do Yud. So Rab Chaim says that even that position, though, fundamentally agrees with the, what he's developing, 
It's saying that since the first money was not given for Kiddushin, so there's no anchor to tether the Kiddushin back on something before the second guy did Kiddushin. So if that second guy does Kiddushin before the master does Yud, then his Kiddushin would take effect and preclude the master's Yud. But says Rab Chaim, even this position agrees with the general idea that, he, that he's been developing, that when it comes to Yud, we don't need the girl's Das, we only need the master's Das, because when the father sold her, that was his way of giving Das for the Kiddushin. Even though there was no act of Kiddushin, we can't tether the Kiddushin to that moment, but he did do sufficient action to remove the need for their das. And Rab Chaim says that it's similar to a case uh, the Gemara has if a man says to his daughter, who's a Tana, she's a child, go out and accept your Kiddushin. So in that situation, we only need her awareness of the fact that she's accepting Kiddushin. But the das for the Kiddushin, the real acceptance of the Kiddushin is done by her father. So the case of Yud is always going to be similar to that, even if the sale itself was not an act of Kiddushin, but that was when the Da'as from the girl's side was given through her father that she could be married. And the only thing that's necessary now is the Da'as of the master in order to affect the Kiddushin. And Rab Chaim proves this thesis because if we think about the whole Yud, so the Gemara is saying that you need her Das. That's what we derive from Ya'ada, that the girl has to have awareness. But this girl is a child, as we said. A, a slave girl is always a child, a Ketana. And a Ketana is always under the authority of her father. He's the one that accepts Kiddushin. So when it comes to Yud, what difference does it make if the girl gives her Das or not? It should all depend on the father, not the daughter. So it says Rab Chaim that this makes sense according to his theory because we don't need actual Das from the girl's side. We already have that from the father. We only really need the Das of the master. What we need in this situation from the girl is for her awareness, either because we need her to understand that Kiddushin is happening in order to affect it. She has to be aware of what action is being done. Or there's this Gzeris HaKosis that we learn out from you that we need her to know about it. But in that situation, the father's rights are gone because he already gave his Das for this. So that's why it's not dependent anymore on the father. It's dependent on the daughter. So the very fact that Yud is dependent on Ektana, which we don't find for Kiddushin, lends support to Rab Chaim's whole idea. It shows that it's something very different, that we don't need the girl's Da'as, we need just her awareness. And awareness could be given even by Ektana. Now, coming back to Rab Chaim's whole question on the Rambam from Yu, that the Rambam holds you cannot testify about something involving a child, and Yud always involves a child, but it still needs testimony, says Rab Chaim, based on his whole explanation of Yud, that it's not her das, it's her awareness, and based on the principle that he said before, that edus l'kiyume is needed when you need the person to affect the change. That's when the edim are inherent to the process. But if you don't need that person's das in this process, then it's only edus livrure. So when it comes to regular kiddushin, we need the edim to testify because we need both of their das. So the edus l'kiyume is both on the man and the woman. But when it comes to yud, the edim are only necessary for the master's das because it's his das which creates the kiddushin in the yud. 
but the, the witnesses are not necessary because of her das, because that's just a lower level that she needs to know what's going on. But we don't need edus lekiyume from the perspective of her das. So since the edim for yud are really inherently needed for the master's da'as, not for the girl's da'as. When they testify, it's not really that they're testifying on what a child did. Of course, it's going to affect her. She's now going to become a wife, so it does affect her, but that is not included in the principle that witnesses can't testify on something which has to do with a child. So that's the difference between Yud and the Rambam's case where she's trying to make a messenger to accept her get. There, the witness's testimony is on something which a child is doing, whereas in the case of Yud, it's on what the master is doing to this child. So in that situation, testimony can be given even though it affects the child indirectly. And Rabbi Chaim says it's a, for example, a case where a man divorced his wife who was a ktana. She was a child. So in that case, they could also testify on that. There could be witnesses on that gerushin because it's really coming from the husband. Uh, all of this is developed at length, again, in Reb Chaim's first piece in Hilchus Gerushin. Uh, what he's adding in this piece is that yud falls under the category of things which are not really created or affected by the child's da'as, and that's why the, you're able to have testimony in a case of yud. Now, uh, coming back to our original case of Chalitza, so again, this all just illustrates Reb Chaim's main principle, that if we don't need their da'as, meaning they don't create the effect of what happens over here. So then the Adim is Livrure, and we don't need Adim intrinsically. So the same thing would be with Chalitza. As Reb Chaim explained, we don't need the Da'as of the person doing Chalitza or the woman accepting the Chalitza. We only need them to be aware of what's going on. We just need their Kavana or their Machshava, their awareness of what's happening. And then automatically the Chalitza takes effect and she, the woman is now allowed to marry anyone she wants. So since that's the case, it would follow from this whole discussion that the witnesses in such a case are only livrure, they're not lekiyume, and that's why according to the Rambam, if there are no witnesses, this chalitza still has some effect and she can't marry any of the other brothers. So all of this lends credibility to Rab Chaim's argument that the simple reading of the Rambam and also the Gemara, which just says, how do we know the chalitza happened? But the, the implication of the Rambam and the Gemara are that if you do a chalitza, even with no aid in present whatsoever, it's still inherently a good chalitza. We just have no way to prove it. That's what we need aid in for. Now, as is his way, in the last paragraph, Rab Chaim backtracks from some of this approach, and he says that the, this whole notion that the Adim for Yud are only necessary from the master's perspective, but not from her perspective, because we don't need her Das, we only need her awareness, we could view this whole thing differently. And we could say that since Yud is a form of Kiddushin, and uh, anytime you have a Kiddushin, anything which is going to change the woman's status always needs Adim. So in this case, we also need Adim Lekiyume, and uh, we can't differentiate really between whether they're Adis Lekiyume for the master or for the slave. Either way, the situation requires Adis Lekiyume, as does any case of Kiddushin.
Now, what about the Rambam that says that you can't testify about something involving a child? So if this case broadly needs edus l'kiyume, it makes no difference, the master or the slave girl, how can they be made on the slave girl who's a katana? So Rabbi Chaim says for that we could apply this idea that we don't really need her das. We don't need her to create the kiddushin. So for that we'll suspend the rule that you can't testify about a child. Meaning the Rambam only said you can't testify about something involving a child when we need the das of the child. So on that the Adam can't testify because the child doesn't have sufficient das. But in a case of yud where we don't need her das, so there the Adam are able to testify. So we could apply the same basic approach just in order to answer that question. But we wouldn't need to say more broadly that the edus l'kiyume doesn't apply to the girl's das at all. We could still say that anyone involved in the kiddushin, whether it's full das, whether it's kavana, since kiddushin creates a change in status, so everyone needs edus l'kiyume, even the tana's lower level of awareness. And the same thing would be, says Rav Chaim, in a case where a husband divorced his wife, who's a katana. So again, the reason why the witnesses are able to testify, even though the Rambam holds you can't testify about a child, is because it could be done against her will. So since we don't need her da'as, the witnesses are able to testify. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't need edus l'kiyume on the gerushin. Since she's being migureshes, she is involved in the gerushin, so then the edus l'kiyume might also apply to her. So Rav Chaim backtracks a little bit from this whole idea that the Eidos Lekiyume doesn't apply to a girl who's Zaktana because she doesn't have Das. And bringing this back again to the case we started with, Chalitza, so if we use this model, then it will also remove the proof that Chalitza is only Eidos Levrure because again, we could say that even though you can do Chalitza with children, so how could the witnesses testify? So we could say because you don't need their Das, you only need their Kavana, their awareness of it, but you don't need them to affect it. That's why Adam are allowed to testify on something involving children. But that doesn't mean it's not Edus Lekiyume. As Rab Chaim saying now, it could still be Edus Lekiyume, even though it's something which involves children. So now we could say that Chalitza is Edus Lekiyume, and still they're able to give Edus Lekiyume on children. So according to this uh, second approach, we don't have a proof that Chalitza is Edus Levrure, and you don't inherently need the Edim. But, says Rab Chaim, he still would say this approach when it comes to chalitza because there's a basic difference between chalitza and yud. Yud is a change in status. It's a real kinyan. Something's taking effect like when it comes to kiddushin. So it makes sense that yud needs edus l'kiyume like a case of kiddushin, like when a kinyan happens. But chalitza is not something where anything takes effect, it just happens automatically. Once the act of chalitza is done, so then automatically this woman is now allowed to remarry. And uh, therefore, it would make sense to say that for chalitza, you don't need edus l'kiyume, you only need edus livrure. And Rab Chaim thinks that there's proof for this because the Rambam never mentions that Edim require chalitza. So you see that uh, the Rambam holds that chalitza doesn't inherently require Edim. So even though Chalitza and Yud are no longer the exact same, that you can't compare them, but still Rab Chaim holds that it's true that Chalitza only needs Edus Levrure, not Edus Lekiyume. And he actually thinks that there's some proof for his first approach because he says the Rambam didn't even mention the need for Edim for Yibum. Not chalitza, when they want to create a yibum, which is certainly a change in a status, it's like kiddushin, still the Rambam doesn't say that they're required to have Aden. 
So why wouldn't the Rambam emphasize the need for Edom when it comes to Yibum, says Rab Chaim, because you don't need their Da'as in that case. It's unlike Kiddushin, where you need them to affect the change, but in Yibum, you only need them to be aware of what's going to happen. You don't need their Da'as, and therefore you don't require Edom L'Kiyume in that case. So this would be a proof that when you don't require Da'as, you only need Kavana, so then in that case, the Edom are L'Kiyume, not Livrure, even if we can't prove it from the the case of Yud, but we are able to prove it from the case of Yibum, where the Rambam doesn't emphasize the need for Edim. So accordingly, this whole discussion leads to the conclusion that according to the Rambam, Edim, in a case of Chalitza, are only Livrure, not Lekiyume, and that's why if there are no Edim whatsoever, she's still not allowed to marry any of the other brothers. So that's Rab Chaim's piece. There's a lot of major conceptual points in this piece. Uh, as I said, these are issues which Rab Chaim revisits over and over again, the issue of Lishma and its relationship to Kavana or Da'as, and uh, the issue of what types of Edim are needed are themes that reappear in other pieces. But we'll just end off with a list of the key conceptual points in this piece. First of all, Rab Chaim connects the whole idea of whether it's an edus l'kiyume, the edim are inherent to the process, or they're just their livrure to verify what happened. Rab Chaim says that that depends on whether or not you need the da'as of the person doing this process. If the person needs to do it through their da'as to create the process, then you need edus l'kiyume. But the, if the process happens on its own, we just need the person to be aware of what's going on, then it's edus livrure. Secondly, Rav Chaim distinguishes between Gerushin and Kiddushin, where we need the Da'as of the person, they affect the change, as opposed to writing a Getlishma and doing Chalitza, where the change happens automatically, we just need to be the person to be aware of what's happening. So we don't need their Da'as, we need their Kavana, we just need an intention or Machshava, their understanding of what's going to happen. And when it comes to Yiyu, this strange case where the master is changing the slave girl from a slave into his wife. So there, Rab Chaim suggests that it would be split. That the master, we need Da'as, he affects the change. Whereas from the girl, we only need her Kavana because her father already gave the Da'as from her side of it. And uh, thirdly, Rab Chaim discusses the issue which he also spent time on in the first piece in Halchus Gerushin, that the Rambam has a principle that you can't testify about something involving a child because they don't have proper da'as. And Rab Chaim has all these cases from Chalitza, from Yud, uh, from a case where a man divorces his wife, Uziktana, where testimony is happening with regard to a child. So at first, Rab Chaim tries to differentiate that the Rambam only meant when it's edus l'kiyume, that the child is created some change, some effect in this situation. So that type of testimony they can't give. But in these cases, the child is not changing anything. So they're able to testify, even though it regards a child, it relates to a child. And that's similar to what he said in Hilchus Gerushin. But to here he backtracks a little bit from that at the end. And he says that maybe it's even so, it's Edus L'Kiyume affecting the child. But so long as we don't need the child's das, it can be done either with just their awareness or against their will. So still the witnesses are able to testify. Testify. So those are some of the major points. Uh, in addition, there's a number of points with regard to Chalitza that Rav Chaim develops. Uh, first of all is the issue of does Chalitza require Edus L'Kiyume or Edus L'Vrure? And Rav Chaim argues that that's a machlokus between the Rambam and the Namuke Yosef. And also, Rav Chaim a few times alludes to the fact that Chalitza is different than a case of Yiud or Kiddushin where a change is actually happening. When it comes to Chalitza, they don't directly do anything. The person, the man, 
man does the chalitza and the woman accepts it, and then automatically a change happens. And that's also how it works with yibum. Once they have intention, they know what's going on, so then the change happens automatically, unlike other cases of kiddushin where they're actually affecting the change themselves. Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf, to rid the world of GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. Killer taste, killer texture, and always organic. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread amplified.